0: Hello and welcome to Southern Middle Tennessee Today on WKOM and WKRM Radio, your hometown news broadcasting from Columbia, Tennessee. I'm your host, Tom Price. Today is Wednesday, December 7th, and we start with local news. A Murray County Sheriff's deputy was transported to the emergency room Tuesday morning after being involved in a rollover crash. According to the Murray County Fire Department, on the morning of December 6th, emergency units were responding to an accident in the area of Dr. Robertson Road after a single vehicle had collided with a tree. While assisting with the incident, a Murray County Sheriff's Department vehicle was struck by a passing SUV. Both vehicles were pushed off the roadway and the SUV was rolled onto its side in the collision. Other emergency units responded I'm sorry, reportedly arrived on scene to find the driver of the SUV trapped in the vehicle. Murray County Fire extracted the trapped driver, who is transported by EMS. The deputy, who was in the Sheriff's Department vehicle, was also sent to the emergency room. Savannah Madison, public information officer for Murray County Fire, said in a statement, Murray County firefighters responded to this scene in mere minutes to assist the deputy and patients involved. Anytime a first responder is involved in an incident, it's always felt deeply by everyone involved. Our deputies constantly assist firefighters facing dangerous situations in the county. We consider them our brothers and sisters. We are so thankful that the deputy and patients survived this crash. Our department is praying for a quick recovery for all involved. Murray Regional Medical Center has earned the Joint Commission's Gold Seal of Approval for Hospital and Home Care Accreditation by demonstrating continuous compliance with its performance standards. The Gold Seal is a symbol of quality that refl- reflects a healthcare organization's commitment to providing safe and quality patient care. Murray Regional Medical Center underwent a rigorous, unannounced on-site review on November 8th. During the visit, a team of Joint Commission reviewers evaluated compliance with Murray Regional Hospital's standards spanning several areas, including emergency management, environment of care, infection prevention and control, leadership, and medication management. We're proud to receive accreditation by the Joint Commission in both of our hospital and home care programs. Said Murray Regional Health CEO Dr. Martin Cheney, "Providing safe and quality patient care is our top priority and something we pride ourselves in. Our, pa- our physicians and hospital staff do such a great job of making sure our patients are well cared for, and I thank them for their dedication." He said. The Joint Commission standards are developed in consultation with healthcare experts and providers, measurement experts and patients. They're informed by scientific literature and expert consensus to help healthcare organizations measure, assess, and improve performance. The surveyors also conducted on-site observations and reviews. As a private accreditor, the Joint Commission surveys healthcare organizations to protect the public by identifying deficiencies in care and working with those organizations to correct them as quickly and sustainably as possible, said Mark Pelletier, Chief Operating Officer of Accreditation and Certification Operations and Chief Nursing Executive at the Joint Commission. We commend Murray Regional Medical Center for its continuous quality improvement efforts in patient safety and quality of care, he said. For more information on the Joint Commission, you can visit www.jointcommission.org. To view a list of providers, services, and more information about Murray Regional Medical Center, visit www.murrayregional.com. Oasis Health Center in Spring Hill celebrated both their one year anniversary and a new expansion yesterday. WKOM WKRM's Mary Susan Kennedy stopped by Oasis to learn more about. What they have to offer.
1: Hello, this is Mary Susan Kennedy with Front Porch Radio, WKRM 103.7 and WKOM 101.7. I'm in Spring Hill today at the Oasis Health Center, and we are at a lovely open house celebrating their first anniversary as well as their expansion. I'm speaking with Christina, the owner of Oasis Health Center, and I want to learn more about their services as well as their expansion. Christina? hi thank you so much for coming so yes this is our one year anniversary and we are a chiropractic clinic that also does applied kinesiology and what that is is it's a way of helping the body um, with things like autoimmune disorders immune system issues um, vitamin deficiencies and and that sort of thing Um, our expansion is going to be dealing with rehab and we have a dry sauna coming in that has a steam attachment so we can do things like eucalyptus and pepper steams for sinuses. So we're really excited about all the growth this year. That is just awesome. Y'all are helping the community so much in so many different ways. Congratulations. Again, this is Mary Susan Kennedy, Front Porch Radio.
0: You can learn more about Oasis by visiting www.oasishealthcentersh.com. The Murray County Planning Commission bumped a proposal for the Kedron Corner development in Spring Hill to January for review after planners cited conditions to be met before approval is considered. A proposed concept plan for 293 homes in northern Murray County did not move forward at the planning meeting, but instead was tagged with a set of conditions for further consideration. The subdivision is zoned as Rural Residential A2 with a proposal of density of one unit per acre. With the development's approval hinging on conditions for the 138-page submission, developers were called to take the concept back to the drawing board. Among the conditions, commissioners expressed concern about a blank, unplanned 68 acres that falls within Spring Hill's urban growth boundary and concern about a north entry access point for residents the city of Spring Hill would have to grant. Representatives with W.S. engineers and surveyors, Alan O'Leary, said at the meeting that the company was unsure what would be built in the unknown zone, whether single-family units or commercial. That is the reasoning for leaving that portion of the property off the proposal, O'Leary said. I know when you have a certain number of lots, you've got to show the whole property. We understand that, but that was the reason for leaving that portion off the property. Additionally, O'Leary said plans are within the proposal to bring Reagan and Pumpkin Creek Roadways up to standard for traffic. The proposal submitted by the company did include a traffic study, but questions remained beyond traffic feasibility. Phase one, O'Leary said, would include 48 lots at the south end of the property where a sewage treatment site would support the area. O'Leary said during his presentation that issues with the Murray County Highway Department and Murray County Water had been, quote, ironed out and were included with the proposal. First to the podium to oppose the plan was Steve Ferguson, who lives at Pumpkin Creek Lane. This is going to be right next door to where this new road is, Ferguson said. To say the least, I'm not very happy that this is falling in my lap. As Ferguson understood, there would be connectors along Kedron Road, but a nearby neighbor selling their property has altered the roadwork that would result. Now the builder is completely changing his plan, Ferguson said. Needless to say, it's going to impact my life quite a bit. I'm against this totally, he said. I'm not against progress, but I would like to see it managed better than it has been done in this county. I think we can all agree to that. We've got the carts way ahead of the horse when it comes to our infrastructure, he said. Ferguson also said he was greatly concerned about recently paved roads in the area being potentially destroyed by the many heavy duty gravel trucks passing in and out during construction. Meeting attendees applauded Ferguson's statements as the comments continued to accrue during the more than two-hour discussion. Following the meeting, Murray County Mayor Sheila Butt released a statement on social media thanking Murray County residents for showing up to voice concerns. It is going to take all of us working together to keep Murray County the place that that many of us love, she wrote. The days need to be over when we wake up and there are 200 houses being built in our backyard, and we wondered how that happened. If we wake up wondering that now, then we are part of the problem. Ignorance is not bliss. In this case, ignorance is submission to development, she said. The plans and questions lingering with the proposal confused some residents in attendance who wished not to go on record. The one Spring Hill resident, Beth Norwood, whose land attaches to the proposed area and spoke at the meeting, shared her takeaway from Monday's two-hour deliberation. Norwood said after the meeting that she was glad the planning commission was not too hasty to approve the plan. I'm pleased they didn't just automatically vote yes, Norwood said. I think they sincerely considered all the concerns that staff had during their discussion. One of the main concerns would be first that the subdivision had a connector to Kedron Road that was feasible for traffic passage. Reagan Road with, two, with key placement in the area will factor heavily into the development getting a yes. Most everyone in attendance, including developers, understood the need for roads that would have to be built to better withstand a heavier traffic flow. Another infrastructure stipulation is the management of water supply and its availability to to an area that has already been strained to the point of conservation notice during its highest use months, as Spring Hill was this past summer. Norwood also said that the one-house-per-acre model for growth was one positive that seems to be in place for a possible Kedron Corner site. One home per acre seems to be more in line with what we need for this area, Norwood said. Mayor Butt added during comments that Murray government is currently rewriting county land use and and zoning regulations that would allow for a consistent 20-year growth plan. The Planning Commission will reconvene at January's meeting to verify the developer has successfully met all conditions in order to move the plan forward. Tennessee Governor Bill Lee and Department of Economic and Community Development Commissioner Stuart McWhirter recently approved $27.3 million in community development block grants, or CDBGs, which will assist communities with infrastructure improvements, housing rehabilitations, and health and safety initiatives. Quality infrastructure is essential to assuring that every Tennessee community can thrive said Governor Lee. I congratulate each grant recipient for receiving funds to support local safety, spur economic growth, and secure prosperity across our state. The allocation of CDBG funds is based on priorities set through the public meeting process at the local community level. The CDBG program is funded through Housing and Urban Development and administered in Tennessee by the Department of Economic and Community Development. Funds are available for water and sewer improvements, housing rehabilitation, health and safety projects, and other improvements to enhance the quality of life in Tennessee's rural communities. In addition to traditional community improvement and safety projects, funding was also made available for community development projects such as sidewalk and walking trail improvements, street paving, and community centers. Congratulations to the 64 communities receiving funding through the latest round of community development block grants, said Commissioner McWhorter. The CBDG program is an essential tool for Tennessee economic and community development as we partner with local communities across the state to better equip and prepare them for economic development opportunities, and we look forward to seeing the success that follows these projects, he said. The City of Columbia will be receiving $630,000 for sidewalk improvements. McCreary's Irish Pub has been a staple in downtown Franklin for many years. Now, they just announced that they will be expanding to a second location in Columbia. In a social media post, the pub will open in the former Juan D's restaurant location on South Main Street in Columbia. In the media post, they stated, Such is our path to take on a brighter life in the former home of Juan D's. It's a bittersweet moment for us and the Sicantha family. Their reasons for retiring after the loss of their grandson are in some ways a lot like my own reasons for expanding. This past weekend, my youngest son, Elliot, celebrated his fourth year being cancer-free from his fight against retinoblastoma when he was just two and a half years old. He lost his left eye in the rare disease, and the road to recovery and healing from the trauma has not always been easy, but worth it. Life finds a way, and while I never had to know the pain of losing my son... The Cherry and Sicantha family and I share a common bond in learning how to heal and live with grief that's ch- ever-changing. Time creates distance, but the pain is something life teaches you how to live with and carry on, so that's what we're doing. The Sicantha family wants more time with those they can still wrap their arms around every day, and I grow to teach my kids that we always get back up when we fall. Even though Wandies is closing, the pub has asked the staff to stay on as it transitions to McCreary's. They shared... A bittersweet but also an exciting chapter in all our lives, we are not two pub families but one. The entire Juan D's family has been invited to stay on with us, and so don't be surprised if you see some of them at our original location as as they learn how to sass, slam beers, and sling fish and chips like the Irish do. As things progress, you'll see some of the Franklin folk down south too. We're a blended family, and Ashley, Alex, and I don't know how we'll make it all work, but we know we will. They ended by saying, everyone love up on d's as they enter their last few weeks and send them off into retirement with a bang and get, it, get ready for us to take over Mule Town in 2023, the best way we know how, with a perfectly poured pint of Guinness. For the latest updates, you can visit McCreary's Irish Pub on Facebook. This year, the James K. Polk Home has seen the return of all of their major events, like Bloodies and Biscuits on Mule Day, the Biennial Polk Ball, the Membership Luncheon, and original exhibitions at Polk Presidential Hall. A candlelight tour on Saturday, December 10th at 4.30 p.m. will complete this year's activities. An additional tour has been added for December 11th at 4.30 p.m. Visitors enjoying the candlelight tour of the Polk Home will see decorations focused on Victorian Christmas traditions, followed by a festive holiday treat. Locals and out-of-state visitors alike are sure to enjoy the tour. One of the trees was decorated thanks to help from children who took part in the final homeschool history day that took place back in November. It was Queen Victoria of England who got Christmas tree decorating started in the United Kingdom and the United States. She borrowed the long-held traditions of her German husband who brought fir tree decorations from his homeland. A photo of her family sitting around a decorated tree made it into an American newspaper and the tradition took off in the late 1840s in this country. The first Christmas tree was not decorated in the White House until 1856, however, during the presidency of Franklin Pierce, according to the Saturday Evening Post. Decorating for Christmas was just getting started in the late 1840s when James K. Polk was 11th President of the United States, and Polk, being a workaholic, pretty much ignored the holiday season, although in his Christmas diary entry of 1848, he did actually take the day off. Polk called it perhaps the most quiet day of my presidential term. He mentioned that Mrs. Polk attended church with some relatives and their children, but he did not accompany them. His presidential diary entries for previous Christmases also failed to mention the distribution of any White House Christmas cards or activities. Today, we would most likely call him Ebenezer Scrooge, as he worked Christmas Eve and the day after Christmas. Of course, it was a tumultuous time. With the end of the Mexican-American War, the United States continued to move west. The addition of new territories, including California and all of the American Southwest, was increasing tensions over slavery, as Southerners wanted to bring the new states in as slave states, and Northerners wanted to ban slavery in new territories annexed into the Union. Just like today, there were also rapid changes in technology, religion, and politics during Polk's presidency. It was a pivotal time in history, but Polk rarely acknowledged for what he achieved during his tenure as president, keeping a delicate peace between North and South while pushing the American frontier all the way to the Pacific coast. The Candlelight Tour allows Polk home docents to share their passion for history, both about Victorian holiday traditions and the Polk family, as they lead those participating on an educational journey. Candlelight Tour guests will also receive a discount at the Little Acorn Gift Shop at the end of the tour. It is a great time and place to pick up a few unique gifts for friends and family that you will find nowhere else. They have things for everyone, from history buffs to kids to locally made products that make great hostess gifts. Space is limited, so reserve a ticket now through Eventbrite. The cost is $15 per person, whether traveling through Tennessee or entertaining out-of-town guests locally. The James K. Polk Museum is open not only for the Candlelight Guided Tour, but also other tours during the week and on weekends. So the ske- you can see the schedule rather at www.jameskpolk.com. The James K. Polk Home and Museum is located at 301 West 7th Street in Columbia. And now your hometown memorials, sponsored by Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. Ms. Clara Wells, retired manager and server at Betty's Parkway Restaurant, died Saturday, December 3rd. Funeral services for Ms. Wells will be conducted on Wednesday, December 7th at 3 p.m. at Parkway Baptist Church. The family will visit with friends on Wednesday from 1 p.m. until service time at the church. Burial will be held in Dayton, Tennessee at Ray Memorial Gardens. Oaks and Nichols Funeral Directors are assisting the family. With arrangements, Mrs. Ernestine Hughes-Whitley, retired banker and widow of Ross Whitley, Jr., died Sunday, December 4th at her residence in Columbia. Funeral services for Mrs. Whitley will be conducted on Thursday, December 8th at 12 o'clock at Graymere Church of Christ. Burial will follow in Polk Memorial Gardens. The family will visit with friends on Thursday from 10 a.m. until 12 noon at Graymere Church of Christ. Mr. Larry Wayne King, 81, retired employee of Dairymen Incorporated and resident of Columbia, died Sunday, December 4th at Murray Regional Medical Center. Funeral services for Mr. King will be conducted on Friday at 2 p.m. at Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. Burial will follow in Polk Memorial Gardens. The family will visit with friends on Friday from 12 noon until service time at the funeral home. Mrs. Hilda Fay Grimes Honeycutt, 71, a resident of St. Petersburg, Florida, and a former resident of Columbia, died Thursday, November 17th at her residence. A memorial service for Mrs. Honeycutt will be conducted on Saturday, December 10th at Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. The family will visit with friends from 10 a.m. on Saturday at the funeral home. Mr. Fate Thomas Hanvey, 78. Retired forklift operator for Samsonite died Sunday, December 4th, at his residence in Columbia. A memorial service for Mr. Hanvey will be conducted on Saturday at 5 p.m. at Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. The family will visit with friends on Saturday from 1 p.m. until service time at the funeral home. Hometown Memorials is sponsored by Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home, serving with dignity and consideration for over 150 years. For your southern Middle Tennessee weather, we will have cloudy skies with periods of rain. The high will reach 68 degrees today, with winds out of the west-southwest at 5 to 10 miles per hour. The chance of rain? 90%. Tonight, we can expect more clouds and rain showers. The low will be 56 The chance of overnight rain? 60%. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll cover state and national news that affect you. You're listening to southern Middle Tennessee today.
1: Hello, friends. This is Brian King from Tennessee Children's Home. Thank you seems appropriate for this time of year. At Tennessee Children's Home, we have even more to be thankful for this year. We have a new campus and have moved in. We've been overwhelmed by the support you've given us to the move to the new campus. Please continue to support us as we try to pay off this debt. Please go to our website, TennesseeChildrenshome.org, for more information. This is Brian King from Tennessee Children's Home. More than 95% of people incarcerated in Tennessee will come home. I knew it would be tough re-entering society, and I figured I would need help. It's okay. Help is available. The new Tennessee Office of Reentry helps get jobs for people who have been arrested, charged, incarcerated on probation or parole. (laughs) Man, I'm glad to get some help. For more info, go to tnworkready.com. Brought to you by the Tennessee Department of Labor and Workforce Development, the Tennessee Association of Broadcasters, and this station
0: welcome back to southern middle tennessee today on wkom 101.7 and wkrm 103.7 your hometown source for news and information i'm tom price and now news from around the state Currently, highly pathogenic avian influenza, or HPAI, is very prevalent in the wild bird population, and this greatly increases the risk that bird hunters could bring the disease home to their domestic flocks. Backyard and commercial poultry farmers are warned to be extremely mindful of their biosecurity practices as we enter and progress through the winter season. Medicating or vaccinating out of the current HPAI situation is not an option. Biosecurity and disease prevention is the best protection for flocks. HPAI will not magically appear in a backyard pen or coop or a commercial poultry house. It has to be put there somehow. Keep in mind, wild birds may carry the avian influenza virus without showing signs and will spread the virus in nasal secretions and in manure droppings. Therefore, it becomes quite easy to unknowingly track the virus into a backyard pen or commercial poultry house. Clientele should be using foot baths and dedicating shoes, boots, and clothing that is only worn in the chicken pen or house to reduce the risk of tracking the virus to their chickens. To the extent possible, bird keepers should limit contact between domesticated birds and wild birds. This may be more challenging for backyard flock keepers, but it is critical to protecting the health of the flock. Any sudden increase in the number of sick birds in a flock or a spike in the number of bird deaths in a flock should immediately be reported to the Tennessee State Veterinarian, Dr. Samantha Beatty's office at 615-837-5120. Remember, duck, quail, and woodcock seasons are open currently. Turkey season takes place in the spring. Let's take one last break. When we come back, we'll cover our final story of the day. You're listening to Southern Middle Tennessee today. Welcome back to Southern Middle Tennessee Today, and now our final story. Downtown Franklin is gearing up for two full days of Victorian and Dickens-inspired celebrations at the Heritage Foundation of Williamson County's 37th annual Dickens of a Christmas Festival, Saturday and Sunday, December 10th and 11th. Hosted by the Downtown Franklin Association, the festival runs Saturday from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. and Sunday from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. Guests will enjoy festive food and drink, children's activities, live music, carolers, and outstanding arts and crafts. We love putting on Dickens of a Christmas, and it just gets better every year, said Barry Beasley, CEO of the Heritage Foundation. You can't beat the atmosphere of downtown Franklin bustling during the holiday season, she said. For more information about Dickens of a Christmas, you can visit www.franklindickenschristmas.com.